Judy, I, I see a name here. Ken Quinley on the one, two, three, four. About halfway down, we can take him off. Answer prayer there. Take your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter number two. Look at that. Look at that. Look how short that is. I know you get excited when you see those short notes. Who was here? Remember last Wednesday night? We got done super quick, right? And like the children's workers, they had like this craft thing they were doing, and they weren't letting, they were not letting those kids go until they finished that craft, okay? So you had to wait. And so um, the, all the time we saved last week, I'm making up for tonight. Amen? Aren't you excited? Be blessed. Be blessed. Uh, the, you know, there's never, I've been, what we're doing right now is we're looking at the life of Jesus, basically, in Scripture. And as we're doing that, you know, I don't know if you've thought about it recently, but there's never been anybody like our Lord Jesus. As a matter of fact, all of human history swings on the doors of a manger in Bethlehem, doesn't it? And his birth divides the ages. His life demonstrates uh, his love for us. He delivers us our atonement. His resurrection destroys the devil and death and hell. It's just absolutely incredible, his life. Uh, look at this next line. This book right here that I recommend, Your God is Too Small by J.B. Phillips. J.B. Phillips said this. He said, God may thunder his commands from Mount Sinai and men may fear, yet remain at heart exactly as they were before. He's saying, you can fear God and your hearts do not change. He says, but let a man once see his God down in the arena as a man, suffering, tempted, sweating, agonizing, finally dying a criminal's death, and he is a hard man who is untouched, right? See, our God, one of the great incredible things about Jesus compared to other religions and other gods, uh, their false gods, is the fact that Jesus came and lived like us and suffered like us and hurt just like us. Historian Kenneth Scott Latoria, he said, as the centuries pass, the evidence is accumulating that measured by his effect on history, Jesus is the most influential life ever lived on this planet. I think that's true, right? And all of it, matter of fact, H.E. Wells, an open unbeliever, he said, I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is the very center of all of human history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all history. But here's what's amazing. I say all that to say this. You know that, don't you? Uh, to say this, that even though we have details about his agonizing death, we have, uh, you read about his life, you read about his ministry. Look at this next slide. There's really more about Jesus' life that we don't know than we do. There are more years that we don't have any scripture about his life than we actually do. He only lived for about 33 years, yet up, when you add up all the years of his life that the Gospels record for us, it only covers about three years. Uh, all that information about his birth, you know about Mary and Joseph, a star and a manger, you know about some wise men, uh, you know all these different things, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John really don't tell us anything very much about Jesus as a child. Isn't that fascinating? Wouldn't you like to know some more? Matt, but I want to know, wasn't there a movie that came out about that? Y'all remember that movie? It was supposed to be like Jesus as a child. Y'all remember that movie? I didn't watch it because I just get mad. You know what I'm saying? I, I just get mad when I watch those movies because they just get so off sometimes. Uh, but once you get past Bethlehem, and then a couple of years there. And then there's all this time that we really don't know very much about. And then all of a sudden, 
Bethlehem and the manger, and then there's some time there and some Egypt. You get a little detail about that. And then it's just nothing, and then all of a sudden Jesus is here. He is getting baptized by John the Baptist, right? But something happens, and we're not told what he's like as a baby, how he learned to talk, how he learned to walk, right? Did Mary have to spank his little bottom? I mean, all those kinds of things. Was he tall and athletic or short and bald? I mean, you know, it, it, we know about Bethlehem and shepherds and mangers and angels, but we really don't know what Jesus was like as a child. Uh, the only insight we have is when he was 12 years old. Do you remember when you were 12 years old? Jesus was 12. Now, this is important. Now, here's why I say this is important. Jesus is born two years old, the flight to Egypt, coming back, and then you don't hear anything. And then there's this moment that happens when Jesus is 12 years old. It is so important that they didn't tell you nothing about 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, or anything about 13 through 30. But this event was so important, but it seems not that important when you glance at it, that Dr. Luke puts it here in his gospel. It's important. William Barclay says, one of the supremely, most supremely important passages of the gospel story is the story we're going to look at tonight. George Duncan calls uh, this passage uh, quite extraordinary and one that demands our undivided attention. I mean, it's powerful, it's personal, it's, it's purposeful, and so we're going to focus on this. Um, and this story reminds me that even though we focus on Jesus, how easy it is to lose our focus and not be focused on Jesus. Now, our Bible study tonight is called Left Behind. But I know what you're thinking. Look at this next slide. It's not the Nicolas Cage movie, okay? The greatest actor of our generation, okay? And as much as I would like to show you this thriller of a movie tonight, that's not what we're going to be talking about. We're talking about the time that Jesus was left behind. Okay, look in your Bible to Luke chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 41. Luke chapter 2, verse 41. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Verse 46. Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have, you done, uh, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. I wonder what her tone of voice was right there, though, by the way. Hmm? Do you think it sounded like I said it? Son, why have you done this to us? Is that how your mother talked? Mine did. All right. I'm just Verse 49. And he said to them, why did he talk back? That's how you know he's almost a teenager. More on that some other time. He said, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. I bet that happened a lot when Jesus is your child. Saying things and you're just like, I don't know where he gets that from. Verse 51. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. 
But his mother kept all these things in her heart. In other words, he was subject to them. He was a good kid. Verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. By the way, did you notice that little phrase there? It said, Mary kept all these things in her heart. Um, this kind of keeping things in her heart, Mary kept this in her heart, this kind of terminology is only found in Luke's Gospels. That's only where that phrasing, that's the only place that we have it. And I just love it because it's this personal, practical touch. I think Dr. Luke, now if you read, uh, you know, you know, Luke Acts goes together, Luke and the book of Acts. And if you read, he says, I have investigated, Marcus Kelly translation, I have investigated all these things diligently. I've, I've checked for myself. I have verified the sources. I have gotten this story down exactly like it happened. I kind of think Dr. Luke asked Mary what happened. Now, if you was, had a chance to talk to and interview Jesus' mother, Mary, what would you ask her? I know me, and I know one of the first things I would ask her is, what was Jesus like as a baby? What was Jesus like as a little boy? Because I know so much about the other parts of his life, but I don't know anything about that part. I think Dr. Luke asked her that question. You know, what was it like when Jesus was born? And she tells the story, you know. Well, what was he like when he was a boy? She, oh, he was a good boy, you know. And then she's like, well, there was this one time when he was 12. We left him. Forgot. By the way, just a show of hands real quick. Anybody ever forget their kids? Don't lie, you sinner, hypocrite. Yeah, come on, raise them up. I don't think, Alicia, have I ever forgot our kids? Right? I've almost forgotten our kids. Does that make sense? Like, all right. Oh, kids, come here. Come here. We're leaving. We're all leaving. It was a test. Right? <laughs> forget them. It's a terrible feeling to forget your kids. I had one gentleman. I was preaching at a church, and I don't know what got over me, but I was like, has anybody ever forgot their kids? Da, da, da. And this one guy, his hand shot up. I don't know what happened. I grabbed a microphone, went out there and said, tell us about it. <laughs> and he it was the funniest story. It's like, well, we were going to church. Everybody get ready. Let's go, let's go, let's go. We got in the car, drove to church. There's one little kid, two little kids, three little We left the baby at home, right? Everybody back in the car. We fly home. And I was like, when that happened? He said, today. <laughs> so anyway, it happens to the best of people, right? What was Jesus like when he was growing up? We left him and didn't even realize it. For a whole day. So I think we're the beneficiaries here of just a sweet personal story with Jesus' mama, Mary, pretty much telling Dr. Luke what happened. That's just what I believe. So uh, there's a couple of things I want you to see in this passage. Number one, write this down. What they show us here, first of all, is it's a yearly trip. They go every year, right? And they go, I mean, they're faithful. Uh, look at Luke chapter 2, verse 41. It says, His parents went to Jerusalem. Every year at the Feast of the Passover. Again, I think that's, I already said it, it's a good spot. Write this down. What does that mean? It means they were faithful to the house of God, to the people of God. Um, I mean, every year, not some years, not most years, every year, not a lot of years, right? Every year. You know, the Super Bowl is coming up next Sunday. I don't know if you, uh, do y'all remember that Visa commercial with the guy that um, he had never missed the Super Bowl? Right, he had been to like however many, how many Super Bowl, I'm a football guy, I don't even know. Once the Roman numerals got too big, I just quit counting. You know what I'm talking about on all the promotions, you know? You know Super Bowl 20, but you know, Super Bowl 50, what? I don't, I, they didn't teach me that. Anyway, this guy had never missed, he'd been to every Super Bowl. Like at the time, it was a couple years ago, 40, 50 in a row. At one year, he had to pull the IV out 
and leave the hospital. Sign some paperwork. I'm leaving. Yanked the thing out. And he went, and they did this big commercial on this guy. And he said that he's going to go to him if he has to crawl, right? He is going to the Super Bowl no matter what. Uh, I mean, even if professional football is your thing, man, that's faithfulness, right? That's commitment. That's determination. And you see uh, faithfulness, something like this, in the life of Jesus' parents every year at the Feast of the Passover. Now, faithful. Now, how many of you know where I'm going with this? Are you picking up what I'm setting down? Do I even have to say it? Listen, if one of my kids, yeah, yeah. And we're having church next Sunday night, by the way. Listen, if one of my kids ever had... I started to say something I shouldn't say. They didn't laugh the last time I said it. It was a couple Sunday nights ago. I was kidding around. I was talking about kids. And I said, you ever hear kids come up and say something to you, and you just want to knock their head off their shoulders? I'm kidding. I hadn't even whooped one of my children in a decade. And I'm kidding. And everybody in the sanctuary, some of you are looking at me right now. They all went... You, and so that's what I started to say just now. But listen, my children didn't have to ask, are we going to ch- church tomorrow? But they knew we were going to church after a certain age, after a certain point when God dealt with us, right? Uh, but if they have to ask, well, maybe we're doing something wrong. We're not modeling faithfulness. We're not modeling faithfulness to God, to the people of God, right, to the house of God, um, you know, some folks wouldn't dream of missing other things, right, the Super Bowl or uh, Marcus does that karate, karate practice or football practice, dance rehearsals. Some children have perfect attendance in extracurricular activities, but they, they've never been to a Sunday school class. And so I think some of our priorities are a little bit out of whack. Uh, we wouldn't, some of you wouldn't even be late to other things, right? Are you like me? Sometimes I would almost rather not go if I'm going to be late, right? You wouldn't think of being late for a PTO meeting, Real or PTO, is that the thing? PTO, that's the whole thing. And um, you would think of your children missing out on beta club, being late. Got to make it to beta. Right, church? Mm-hmm. I promise you, at the end of a lifetime, uh, perfect attendance to church would do a lot more for your child than beta club or karate practice or dance rehearsal, right? Many times we're not as concerned about church, right? It's really cold. I'm not going to church. It's, okay, here's what I do with Alicia. Here's what I do with Alicia. Um, I wake up every morning. This is my routine. I wake up, get out of bed, grumble. I'll go, I told you all this before. I go to sleep, walk to the window, and I pop them blinds open. If it's sunshiny, which, well, no, it's not. We got that early service now. It's midnight dark when I get up on Sunday morning. But at some point in the morning, if, when we're up, if I look outside and it's sunshiny, I'll be like, well, weather's good. Nobody's coming to church. And then if I look outside and it looks like rain, well, it's raining. Nobody's coming to church, right? And if I look outside and it's a blizzard, I'm like, well, that's going to be the one time that rascal shows up to church and doesn't know we canceled. Amen? It happens. It happens. Many people, clouds out, drop of rain out, thread of snow out, family in town. This is my least favorite bunch of Just Let me just tell you, some of you have shared that with me before, Okay. And so if you're wondering, if I'm thinking about you right now, probably. Um, no, I don't know. I don't remember because it's a common thing. Uh, we, 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 Brother Marcus, we can't come to church Sunday. We got family in town. Don't they know you go to church? Don't they bring clean clothes with them? I don't even care. Let them roll out of bed and come to church. Brother Marcus, I got family in town. We can't come to church. Quit it. 
Okay, that's just, that's just me. Okay, that's my personal pet, pet peeve. Look at this thought. Write this down. Any excuse is a good excuse when you're looking for an excuse. Any excuse is a good excuse. It's easy not to be faithful. It's much more difficult. No, it's not. That's a lie. It's not easier to come up with an excuse. Actually, it's harder. I've told y'all this before. Uh, before me and uh, God just dealt with me and Alicia, we used to lay in bed. And on Sunday morning, we'd wake up, and I was like Tom Sawyer. Remember Tom Sawyer's trying to figure out a reason not to have to go to school? Right? My tooth, my toe, or whatever it was. That's me every Sunday morning. And I'm just, I just lay there doing inventory. Oh, okay, everything. Because I felt like I couldn't lie about it. Like it had to be something, right? Because God would not be happy with me if I didn't have an official ailment. And so I'm like, inventory, inventory, everything feels fine. That's getting bigger. What's that all about? Uh, everything seems, nothing hurts, you know. And I'm laying there, I'm like, oh, we got to go to church. Right? And then Alicia would kind of roll over. She'd move, and she'd make like a little sound as she rolled over. A little, mm. baby, you okay? Mama, you okay? Are you hurting? You don't feel good? And she'd be like, well, I feel okay. And all of a sudden, you start doubting yourself, you know. I feel okay. Well, if you're sure. And she's like, well, I am tired. Well, Mama, we don't want you to overdo it. You've been taking care of these babies all week. I mean, if you want to stay, we'll stay. Right? And you kind of team up and you talk yourself into it. Has anybody else ever done that? Raise your hand, all you hypocrites. Hey, we've all done it. And then... um. And then we would not go to church, and then you'd feel terrible, and it'd been just bad. Then you couldn't go back to sleep. It'd be easier just to go to church. I remember once we decided that we were church people, and we were going to be at church because we recognized what God's Word said about church and God's people and all those things. Once we decided that, it was easy. It just was. I mean, trying to make you feel bad, you know, whatever. It's just easier. My, all my friends used to call me on Sunday morning to watch football, come over Sunday, blah, blah, blah. Pretty soon that phone just quit ringing on Sunday because they knew it's Sunday. We was going to be at church. It just, it, once you make the, all you got to do is make the decision once. Once you make the decision, you never have to make that decision again. We go to church. And um, Jesus' family, they went to church. Okay, moving on because you're so happy about it. Look at verse 41. I mean, you're here. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. But then look at verse 42. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. Now, Dr. Luke makes a point of telling us that Jesus was 12 years old. That's significant because in the next year he would turn 13. And when he turned 13, he was a son of the covenant, a son of the commandment. He would be a member of the synagogue. He's a man in the eyes of the church. He's a man at 13. Big deal. It's like when they do their bar mitzvahs now in the Jewish community. Right? Let me paint a picture for what it would be like. Uh, Passover in Jerusalem would have been awesome. The city is just filled with people, energy. There's camps. There's houses. The temple is full. Everybody's there. There would be 24 priests in the temple, and in the main temple area on this day. Where normally, there would only be one. Uh, their job was to take the le everybody the night before collected their leaven, and they would bring it to them, and they would burn it. And then they would prepare, uh, prepare the ritual offering, the sacrificial, the Passover lambs. And at noon, everything stopped. And then uh, from noon to 3, and then at 3 o'clock, the sacrifices would begin. And so probably 12 years old, Joseph probably took Jesus with him to the temple, and they carried their family lamb, right? And so what would happen is the gates of the temple court would close. There's a ram's horn that would sound, which is awesome. I think we should get some of those in church. Right? That would be cool. 
okay, oh, I, I got to stop side. Real t- funny, uh, you, you know, me and Scott, we used to be in this group called Saul to Paul, right? We'd go around and lead worship and everything. I would sing, and Scott would just be quiet, and that's a lie. All right, and we went, and we did this thing at this Messianic Jewish kind of convention thing room, and so we set up everything like normal, and we we're just going to do worship, and these folks look normal just like you, just nice, sweet people, and, um, and, and they were setting us up. So we were going to open up, what was it? Blessed be the name, I think, because we're doing a worship set. So we're going to do blessed, blessed be the name of, okay. And so we're going to do blessed be the name, and here we go. And everybody's just sitting there smiling like you people, and everybody looks so adorable. And then all of a sudden we go, blessed be the, and all of a sudden, shofars are going off. They're People waving banners. Every person had a tambourine. And I'm like, oh, right? And leaning in, it was, they were so loud that you couldn't hear yourself with the instruments and everything. And it just scared me to death, okay? That was just me. I didn't see it coming. Does that make sense? And so I didn't anticipate that reaction. That's kind of the energy of this day. Everybody's ramped up. Everybody's excited. It's the Passover. It's a big, big day. The Levites would sing the Halil uh, Psalms, and they would, um, the priests would stand in this long row, and they would have these gold or silver basins that they would hold out, and they would slice the throat of the lambs, and they'd pour the blood into those basins for the sacrifice. When they finished slaughtering the lamb, uh, Joseph would wrap it up in its own skin, and then he would carry it back to where they were camped out, right? And, and so they would it'd be eaten by the, by the family. And they'd have to eat it before the sun went down. I mean, it's like a big deal. I mean, they would just have an awesome time with this. And Jesus, being 12 years old, was probably about the time he got the privilege of asking this question. When they were sitting around, they had ceremoniously baptismoed their hands. They had washed their hands. They've said their prayers. They're singing the Halil uh, Psalms. And then somebody had to ask this question. And it was probably Jesus, because he's 12. Father, why is this night different from all other nights? And when that question was asked, Now, the father, Joseph, would tell the whole story how God delivered the people of Israel out of bondage in Egypt and tell the whole story about the Passover and all of that. And then the night would end with some people celebrating in the streets uh, because, you know, some people just don't know when's enough's enough, right? And so others would go back to the Temple Mount again um, because the gates would open at midnight and more worship, more prayer. It had to be an awesome, exciting time for a 12-year-old. And it had to be very exciting. But that wasn't the end of it. Look at verse 43. It says, when they had finished the days, they probably stayed for a whole week, about a week. And so I imagine Jesus just had the run of the whole city, right? Because his parents obviously weren't keeping up with him very good. Again, it points out their faithfulness. They didn't come... They didn't go to Jerusalem. Let's make the sacrifice. Let's do the minimum and get out of Dodge, right? They were there for the whole thing, right? They didn't want to, let's get it done and get gone. They were faithful. Yearly trip. Number two, write this down. Uh, Oops, the discovery. What do you say when you forget your kids? (laughs) Oops, right? Imagine Mary looking at Joseph. You lost my baby child, (laughs) right? You know? Look at verse 43. It's a major movement in the story. It says, when they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. Any of you ever have a teenager that lingered? 
And Joseph and his mother did not know it. This is so awesome. I love this story. I don't know if you could tell. I love this story, right? And so, because, you know, it's a family caravan. So all the kids are running around and all the relatives, everybody's watching out for everybody's kids, except Jesus wasn't there. And you think they would notice, because I feel like probably something special about this Jesus kid, right? Whenever Jesus wasn't around, all the other kids acted up extra, right? So if there's a ruckus, you're like, where's Jesus? Whenever Jesus is here, this stuff doesn't happen. Everybody's starting back to Nazareth, everybody except Jesus. And it, that evening when they stopped, they realized that they had left him behind. I thought you had him. I thought you had him. I don't know where your son is. Oh, he's my son now. He's always my son when he does something wrong. He's your son when he does something right. Look at this next slide. I call it the, the Hebrew home alone. Amen. Now just think about that movie, and that's what we have happening right here in the Bible. It's amazing. Now, I see the humor in it, but it's also a sad kind of commentary, the lives of many believers, right? They're saved, and they're living life, and they're doing their own thing. And then someday they kind of look around, and Jesus is nowhere to be found, right? They've just wandered so far from God. Um, and it's true more than people probably want to admit. Uh, this, these numbers are from a couple of years ago. George Barna did this research among professing born-again Christians. He said 39% of Americans describe themselves as born-again Christians. Two-thirds of Americans say that they've made a personal commitment to Jesus that is important to their life. Half of those, that two-thirds, attend a Christian church. They say that they are absolutely committed to the Christian faith. And another third say they are moderately committed. I find that interesting. It says, among born-again Christians, 71% say they are absolutely committed to the Christian faith. Uh, two out of five adults say they pray at least once a week. 96% of born-again uh, Christians say they pray any given week. Uh, but only 62% said they have prayed more than once in the last seven days. Uh, the average prayer lasts about five minutes. Would that be a record for you? Isn't that hard some days? I mean, I, I'm a... I'm the pastor. I'll admit it. Sometimes five minutes, right? You're just like, okay, Lord, signing off. <laughs> I keep thinking about other stuff. So, Father, bless them and, and go on. And other times, five minutes can go by like that. You can get easily distracted. The average prayer is less than five minutes. 63% um, of professing born-again Christians uh, say they attend a church on any typical weekend. Only... 41% attend more than one service. That's pretty good. 26% of adults nationwide attend a small group and meet regularly for Bible study or prayer. And then 16% are involved in some kind of discipleship process. What does that mean? Look at this next slide. Write this down. We don't want to be familiar with God, but not have any fellowship with God. The number of people who attend a church on any given weekend, through the roof. The number of people that are praying more than daily is small. Uh, we, the weekly numbers, anybody who's involved in Sunday school, small group, or even coming to something like this is tiny compared to that overall number. We don't want to be know who Jesus is, but yet not have any fellowship with him and not really know who he is. Uh, Leslie Weatherhead in his book, Time for God, another good book, Time for God, he says, familiarity and intimacy are not the same thing. You can know Jesus, you can be saved, but yet something happened in your life and not be intimate, not have an intimate, meaningful relationship 
with Jesus. So go back and look at verse 43 again. This is one of the most disturbing statements in the Bible. You remember Jesus lingered. It says, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. I mean, real talk. How could they go a day and not know that Jesus wasn't there? For real, a day. Uh, we've all forgotten our children momentarily or whatever, but a day. And, and honestly, when I look at that, I kind of think that could happen to me. That I could get busy. That I could go a day and forget about Jesus. That I could get so busy with whatever life's throwing my way and whatever thing is going on and, and think that i got the answers and I've got to take care of it and then go a day and, and forget about Jesus. That's basically what that they did. Not that I could lose my salvation, but that fellowship that we were talking about. Mary was still Jesus' mother. Joseph was still Jesus' earthly father. But they had lost Jesus. Right? They had no contact with Jesus. We can get so busy that we don't have an awareness, uh, awareness and acknowledgement and appreciation of his presence in our life. And especially if you're in the ministry or you're active in church, you can get so tied up in serving and ministering and duties and activities and you lose sight of the person of Jesus, the whole point of the reason why you do what you do. And you don't want to do that. As a matter of fact, one of the sneakiest, look at this next slide. This is one of the sneakiest dangers in a Christian's life. So busy in our work for Jesus that we don't have time to spend with Jesus. I, I know of a, um, have I told you the story? Okay, my mama, uh, my dad got divorced when I was a little kid, and we moved to Tennessee. Best thing that ever happened. And uh, moving to Tennessee. And then she married my first stepdad, James. James was a good dude. I even hung out with him some after they, they got divorced. But James had a drinking problem. And as his alcoholism began to spiral kind of out of control, my mama saw some of these symptoms, some of these signs, and she decided she didn't want to have anything to do with it, right? And so we were attending a church called Grace Baptist Church over there on Highway 70. It's now part of Inglewood, right? It's, uh, Inglewood has taken over the campus. They do a lot of their missions activities that centered out of there. Inglewood. And so we were attending the church. And what I didn't know when I was a kid, I found out a little bit later, was when my mama left James because of his alcoholism, and she was really concerned, he was starting to want to get violent with us kids. Right? He never hurt me. Right? But my mama said he was wanting to. Right? I mean, she could see it. His anger and his drinking, and she was very concerned. And so she left him, and we moved into this little trailer park. And she and she's a single mom couldn't pay the bills, struggling to get by, just left her alcoholic husband. She got two boys that eat everything. And so she went to the church. And she's like, I need help paying my utility bill. And we've been, we'd been going to that church for a little while at that point. Can you help us? And they told my mama she need to get back with that man. That they, the church couldn't afford, couldn't, couldn't help her and get back with that man to get that utility bill paid off. Let me ask you a question. You know me. Could you imagine my mama? Do you think for a second that little Sandy, about this big on the outside, but about this big on the inside, you think Sandy ever went back to that church? Mm -mm. Not for a minute. Sometimes, even in helping people, we can, I'll tell you all that to say that that church should have helped my mama. 
That's why when people come to us for help, we always lean towards yes and not no. Right? We don't want to be taken advantage of. Blah, blah, blah. We always are. Our default is yes, unless there's a reason not to. Right? And that's one of the reasons why. My mother never went back to that church. Me and the kids did. Me and the kids. Me and my brother did. You can, even in helping people and trying to minister to people, you can lose sight of the reason why you're doing it. And you can forget the whole point of the whole thing and what he thinks and what he wants and how he cares about people. And then you can make it about you and your legalism. And she just needs to get back with her husband. Does that make sense? You never want to lose sight of the person of Jesus. You don't want to leave Jesus behind and go and try to help the world. Because when you don't have the heart of Christ, the heart that Christ has for people, whatever help you give is going to be meager and small and a sermon illustration for some dirty little child that's going to grow up to be a preacher. Never lose sight of Jesus. Let's stand and pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you for that church. Uh, God, I just ran them down. Uh, Grace Baptist Church on Highway 70, Father, that church where I got saved, the church that I got baptized in. Uh, God, that, that church where Mr. Bill Holloman drove the bus every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, and picked up us dirty little kids uh, out of the trailer park and brought us to church so that I could come to know you as my Lord and Savior. God, I'm so grateful. But God, my prayer is, is that we'll never lose sight of you, that we'll never leave you behind, even in serving and even in thinking that we're doing good things. But God, that we will keep in mind you and your heart for people and for those around us. Lord, I just pray that everybody, each one of us today can say that we've experienced your presence, we've enjoyed your presence, we've encountered your presence. And in God, if we haven't, we know if we're saved that we're still yours. Right? We're still a, a son of God. We're still a, a daughter of God. We're a child of the King. But God, that we'll have that fellowship and that intimacy where in any given moment, we really are your hands and your feet. We love you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray.